This is P.S. You're Wrong, the podcast where we talk trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love. I'm Shelby. And I am Matt. And we are back for the third episode, which is so exciting. Yes, I know. Who would have thought we'd come so far? (laughs) I know. And yet our audio quality is probably still not great, but we're slowly trying to We're figuring it out. Yeah, it's a a process. It is quite a process. My last podcast had we realized we had the mic turned on the wrong setting like 15 episodes in so oh this is better we're like conscious of our on of our struggles <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah don't if you go back to listen to my other podcast swiftish just like skip to episode like 10 maybe because that's when we really hit our stride mm. but but we're doing it earlier here obviously like this is going to be the best podcast you've ever heard this episode right now Oh right? yeah! Oh yeah! We we For cleared. Sure. We hit the ground running. Hit hit the ground <laughs> at our full potential. Really, it's just downhill <laughs> from episode one. <laughs> no, no, that's the wrong. No, er, no, that's the wrong way to sell our oh, our podcast. Oh, it's, sorry. It's, okay. We've hit a high, and we're going to coast at this high for the rest of time. Yes, we're like a mesa. <laughs> yeah. So. Do you want to dive into some of our topics this week by telling me something that I don't know currently? Yes. Okay. Um, first of all, I have been really obsessed with the Pete and Ariana stuff still. Oh, I don't know if you've kept up on it, but it has been a journey because I guess, you know, people don't like people to be happy. And so they dug up this old joke he had made, like, months ago right after the manchester bombing at ariana's concert so this was before they were dating before they knew each other and he made a joke like i don't remember the context like if he was at a a club or something or if it was just overheard but he was like oh you don't see anyone bombing a britney spears concert basically like speaking to ariana's popularity in bad taste, I guess, to some. And this fan who resurfaced this was like, Ariana, how can you still be with someone who makes fun of something that was so like horrific and tragic and directly involved you? And they were basically like telling Ariana to break up with her fiance. Like these strangers were just like, you have to, you're a hypocrite if you don't. You're standing up like all the time talking about being outspoken for for people and for politics and like if you don't stand up now so basically she had to apologize for her boyfriend she had to come out and be like yeah I don't agree with the joke that was months before I knew him but like he is a comedian and he like you know he reacts to sad news by joking about it type thing and I don't know if you knew this but Pete's dad actually died in 9-11 he was a firefighter I did know that. So he's had this like history of like making jokes about it sort of off color, but it's like how he it's his brand, you know. So anyways, I've been like obsessed with watching this because one, I think it's so weird this culture we have where we think we can like tell celebrities what to do and like bully them into like breaking up with someone because of a joke he made once and also just assuming we know who he is as a person because he made this one joke. I don't know. So it's very interesting. But then the plot thickened. Oh, gosh. Because <laughs> because um, they stayed together, obviously. And people have been really riding on Ariana for that choice. But it came out today that I guess she had gotten a tattoo of his dad's badge number, which is like tribute to him. 
that is so personal <laughs> that is insanely yeah. personal for someone that you don't know over- oh my gosh the, the cringiness of this whole thing i uh yeah. okay go <laughs> well, on so then then pete f- shared a photo of ariana wearing like he had taken his dad's badge and made a necklace for ariana to wear and Someone commented and was like, you never let your girl wear your dad's badge, man. That's disrespectful, bro. And like clearly had some personal feelings involved. And so Pete responded to this internet troll and was like, she's not my girl. She's my fiance. (laughs) Which is sweet or whatever. It's really like, I'm happy for them. They're so in love. It's cool. But I don't know. It's like, it's a rough go for two weeks being engaged you know like if they can get through this man they can get through anything i guess uh, uh this whole story is so cringy <laughs> every aspect of it you just you sit there and think oh in a year's time we're gonna go back and reread these news articles <laughs> and just be like uh and they're going to go back and look at these choices and be like uh it's just it's so personal so fast and so strange I but i do think that the aspect of these fans going back and dredging up things that people have said yeah. in the past it's sort of a terrifying thing to think about culturally (laughs) just because you know now we're living in a society where a lot of things that people do are recorded either on social Mm. media because they're recording them themselves or especially if you're even mildly famous you know there's all of these tmc articles or you're doing press you're saying millions and millions of different things over (laughs) you know the years and lots of them are being recorded and then once you, you know, reach any kind of stardom, people can go back, your fans or trolls or whoever, and scour through all of this material to find yeah. something that you said years ago. And I think the really scary thing about it is that it doesn't take into consideration that people change over that period of time. Oh, yeah. Like if you went back and pulled out things that I said in 10th grade, even in college, yeah. even like a month ago, there would be things where I'm like, oh, yeah, like I should not have said that. That was my bad <laughs> yeah. I was trying to make a joke, but it didn't really land. Or the context of that was really different because of who I was talking right. to. But now you're pulling it individually <laughs> and just s- spreading it around to the press. So I think it's kind of terrifying to think that somebody would be going through things that you said so long ago. I would hate that. Yeah, it's very like Big Brother-ish. I mean, it's like, I know there's a blog post floating around from when I was like 13. And I was like, I'm not a feminist. And I was like, such an ignoramus, you know, Mm -hmm. like, these things are things that change. But I hate watching people be like, Oh, deep dive. Look what I found. You're going to be doxxed. You're the worst person alive. You're not a feminist. Go choke. <laughs> and it's just wild. It's just like, it's a weird, upset, like takedown culture we have where it's like, if someone's successful, famous, cool, popular, we have to think, well, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. And then we have to find it. And it's super weird. Yeah. I mean, it's like, even so you're gonna hate me for bringing this up but i'm really enmeshed in the taylor swift world because i have a taylor swift podcast um but it's really funny because there's this culture around who deserves to meet taylor and it's like 
I've seen so many times where someone like meets Taylor at a meet and greet or like after the show or she's invited to an event and then people will go trolling through like years old tweets and being like, oh my gosh, in 2009, she said something negative about Taylor Swift and now she's meeting her and it's like, this person is a fake fan. She doesn't deserve to meet her. And it is, I mean, we've talked about like the, the stan culture, not even just with Taylor Swift, but anyone is just so crazy. The amount of involvement, they just think they deserve these things. And they're like very, very defensive of like their policing behavior constantly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just like a weird part of our culture now where we just like have so much information. I don't know. We just don't believe people are good or worthy. And so we have to just take them down. And it's insane. My main takeaway from this whole conversation is that Taylor Swift fans are crazy. (laughs) Well, so are Ariana. They're probably a lot of the same people. I feel like it's an (laughs) overlapping uh, demographic. Yeah, Yeah. maybe. I mean, yeah, it's possible. But (laughs) stands in general, I would say just have way too much time on their hands or attachment to someone they don't even know, really. And it just leads to crazy behavior. (laughs) Yes, yes, for sure, for sure. Uh, So I have another story that I would like to bring up. Yes, tell me. Uh, I'm sure that you know about this, but did you see that Kylie Jenner made the cover of Forbes? Supposedly soon, she'll be the youngest billionaire ever and they're titling her a self-made billionaire, which means that she's not yeah. like royalty or somebody who is the child of someone who earned a lot of money. She has made this money <laughs> on her own, supposedly because of these lip kits that she has. But there's yeah. been a lot of controversy circling this story because they're saying, oh, Kylie Jenner, she's a self-made billionaire, which in some ways she is because this isn't money that has been inherited in some way. But at the same time, it's like, well, her mom and her older sisters and this Kardashian empire have really given her all of this. It wasn't like she was, you know, in her garage somewhere in Indiana and decided (laughs) to make lip kits and now is a billionaire. Well, I'm so glad you brought this up because I have so many feelings about the Kardashians. I think they are such an interesting and rich um, discourse. Like, honestly, when I saw this article about her being self-made, I was blown away. Like, this is a 20-something-year-old woman who owns 100% of a company that's worth almost $1 billion. And I think that period, like, is worth celebrating and applauding. But when you get these people who come in being like, the Kardashians don't have any talent. They're famous for being famous. It just undermines the amount of work they put into being famous for being famous. Like they have shot themselves out of the stratosphere compared to other similar celebrities like Paris Hilton, you know, or the <laughs> Jersey Shore people. Like there are people who always want to be famous and they want to have the impact that Kardashians do, but they don't. And I think that means something to the work ethic and the like energy this family has put into carving out such a huge slice of wealth and notoriety in our culture. And I think it's like, obviously there's privilege there, but there was privilege with Mark Zuckerberg and there's privilege with every company, I would argue that gets started this young and gets that successful because 
it's just like they're afforded opportunities other people aren't. And she did have a leg up in already having a, a public personality. But like, I think the most crazy part of this article was the realization that she is worth over double Kim Kardashian. And that's crazy because it's like Kim Kardashian is the Kardashian. Like she's the face of the family. She's why they got the show. She's who's always been the star. She's the one who's like out in the public in like such a real way. And Kylie is just this little girl who like she freaking took the crown from the queen bee, you know? Yeah. I also thought it was really interesting because I would have never guessed that that company was worth as much money as it is either. Oh, really? Just because I don't you know, wear makeup or buy makeup very often. I did not realize that it was as ubiquitous as it is, apparently. I mean, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's worth nearly a billion dollars. Will be, I think they said, within the next year. So that's crazy. So do you think she was self made or do you get irked by that title? I mean, I, I can see it going both ways because, on one hand, I understand what that definition of self made is. And so, yes, she does fall into that category Mm -hmm. i think it's hard for especially like blue collar people to see this and think that they are like being compared to her like oh we are both in the same category but she clearly has you know she was getting oh she's been a millionaire for a while yeah amount of wealth that she has been exposed to from the beginning and if she said oh i want to make a lip kit company you know she has the money and the clout to launch that in you know five seconds where if i said oh i want to make a lip kit company it's like okay well what can you do for for fifty dollars you know yeah no but it's it's interesting because like obviously i agree and i think she would have to agree too but it's Mm -hmm. like you look at that family and there are reasons like chloe and especially rob kardashian have not reached the same level because they just don't care and rob kardashian has a sock line yeah i don't even know if you knew that but it's like it's nothing and it's like he had all the same possibilities he had the same access to money and in fact he was given the like loan by his mom to start this whereas kylie had her own money she'd saved and you know it's a strange it's a strange thing to think about because it's not i mean what teenager has this like freaking fund of millions (laughs) but but he didn't take off in the same way she did and i think that speaks to like the level of work that these women are putting into their brand and they take it very seriously and so It's like, yeah, you can joke about her being self-made, but at the end of the day, it's this 20-year-old who has 100% claim to a billion-dollar business, and I think that's just crazy. Oh, yeah. Me and my roommate say all the time, the devil works hard, but Kris Jenner works harder. (laughs) Yeah, and that's rubbed off on her daughters. I know, it's crazy, but it's like honestly admirable, and I respect them so much. (laughs) Uh, Do you have another story? Well, I just needed to update everyone on the Plain Bay story. I don't know if you saw, but the woman finally spoke out. No, I did not. I was not following the story other than when you brought it up last week. (laughs) Yeah. So this is the story where a woman and a dude met on a plane and they were filmed and like tweeted about um, how cute they were and all their conversations and stuff. And so for a while... she hadn't been speaking out and everyone was like, does she hate this? Is she mad about it? Where is this woman? And she issued this statement again anonymously and was like, 
She was like, I have been doxxed, shamed, insulted, and harassed. Voyeurs have come looking for me online and in the real world. I did not ask for and do not seek attention. Hashtag Plain Bay is not a romance. It is a digital age cautionary tale about privacy, identity, ethics, and consent. And I read this and I was like, damn, I want to meet this girl, you know? (laughs) I hope she writes a book one day. I think it would be so interesting to have her perspective because... You know, we're just talking about the Kardashians. We live in a world where everyone wants to be famous. Everyone wants to go viral. There's this like thirst for people to know us. That's why we have Instagram questions now where people can just give us an excuse to talk more about ourselves. And then this woman is just like so offended by this and like rightfully so by this attention grab at her expense. And I think it's just like such a fascinating reflection on our culture and like how we just like expect everyone to be there for our own our own attention. Yeah. It's it's definitely an interesting saga. And I think, yeah, it goes back to what we have yeah. been talking about with with all of these stories about how the internet and social media is really shaping the way people think about things. I know. I think it's so interesting. I just wish there was like a like where is our generation's nineteen eighty four? You know, like I want a book that like explores this. And the one people keep talking about is the circle, which I didn't read, but I saw that awful movie. Did you uh, ever watch it? No, I didn't. I thought it looked bad, so I didn't go see it. It was so bad. I saw it on a plane once, and it was just so, so bad. But it, it's like sort of this idea is that we're reaching a point where like everyone's just by existing is agreeing to be recorded and, and should feel validated by any attention they receive. It'll be really crazy to see how our culture like shifts and changes to embrace this weird social media hive mind yeah i think that probably the book slash show you're looking for is black (laughs) mirror if you haven't watched it Uh, i know but that's just too yeah 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 that's like that's so stark and depressing (laughs) speaking of black mirror and tv shows in general the emmys nominations just came out and i am a super big awards show geek i love tracking who gets nominated and who wins and the campaigns that these different companies are launching to try to get people nominated or get people the awards. The Oscars are my favorite, but the Emmys are exciting. The Emmy nominations came out this week. I know you have to tell me because I did not I did not pay attention. So (laughs) you win this round. (laughs) It's embarrassing for you, Shelby, again. But I know the story of the hour is that for the last, I think, 17 years, HBO has got more nominations than any network. And this year, Netflix passed them. And so people are really talking about, you know, the end of premium cable. Now everything is moving to streaming. Uh-huh. And at the same time that this that these Emmy nominations are coming out, HBO's new CEO, I think, or president, somebody who's high up at HBO, ha- gave this talk to a bunch of press people this week, also saying that they sort of want to relaunch HBO to make it more like Netflix. So whereas HBO to this point has had very sort of like limited high-end premium content and Netflix is kind of like, we'll take anything, we'll put anything on there, like the good, the bad, and the ugly. (laughs) But now HBO is thinking, hmm, maybe there's something working there. Maybe we should start creating more content or taking more content, even if it's not good, which I think could be a bad move and a lot of people have said like hbo like stay in your lane do what you're good at 
<laughs> yeah, we don't need any more of the kissing booths out there just for these money grabs. Yeah. So did you look at the nominations, though, at all? Do you have any thoughts on the nominations? No, so I'm like a headline reader. So I okay. saw that Queer Eye got nominated and Jonathan Van Ness got nominated for his like Gay of Thrones. And I also saw a bunch of... um TV shows I like got nominated, like Insecure on HBO and stuff. But in general, I didn't notice, I didn't catch any patterns or see any snubs. So please enlighten me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I sort of went through them with more of a fine tooth comb and was like, oh no, I think this person should have been nominated instead of that person. But all of those details are probably not super interesting. (laughs) The main thing that I was very pissed off about, which I think that you will agree with me, is so Stranger Things was nominated for a bunch of awards this year, which is awesome. But Noah Schnapp, who plays Will Byers, was not nominated for Best Actor. Uh, Did they get it to the girl? Millie Bobby Brown. And um, David Harbour, who plays the sheriff, were both nominated. And I was just like, who watched this season and (laughs) thought Millie Bobby Brown was really bringing it? And Will Schnapp, who is playing like a demon-possessed child who is... you know, writhing around and screaming and having to be good and bad and crying while he's being good. And it yeah. he was masterful. And the fact that he was not nominated, I'm still annoyed about. That is crazy because we talked about it when it first came out was just like how they must have lucked out getting this actor to play Will because he turned out to be the star of the second season. And it's like, they had to have known that they would need that and like really carefully cast him because in the first season he did absolutely nothing. And I was just like, LOL, what a poor kid. He's part of this big group of stars, but he's just this nobody. But he really like, he just hit it out of the park on season two. So that's pretty messed up. And also I really love Eleven, but I did not think she was that great in season two. And also just like the... (laughs) I think she needs like a little bit of time to be a little humble, like to step back down. So I kind of wish she hadn't gotten nominated because I think it's like too much for her and I don't want to see her head down a dangerous path of egomania, you know? (laughs) Yeah, she seems like she has a big head and could be a real terror at age 16. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm like, I remember the last Emmys or whatever award shows they were at, all the kids were together. They were just posing, being goofy, having fun. And then Millie Bobby Brown just like swoops in on her own. She does solo pics and she's just like mugging for the camera. And she was named like sexiest dressed. And it was just like, ew, gross. Get out of here, social media. But also, I just feel like she... She's just feeding into this, like, I don't know, diva, (laughs) diva behavior that I just, I don't like. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's frustrating. On the positive side, I think a bunch of really awesome shows did get nominated. Like you said, you know, Mm -hmm. Queer Eye, um, Atlanta was nominated for a whole bunch of awards. I love Atlanta, Game of Thrones, Handmaid's Tale, Westworld. It was like all of my favorite shows were winning things. So are are nominated for things. So that's great. So wait, is it, um, sorry, is it like, how does the time frame work? Like, is it seasons, like is Handmaid's Tale season two or is it season one? It would be season two, I believe. I think the cutoff is sometime in the beginning of summer, but I don't know exactly how they do it if the season like breaks in two. So maybe 
maybe it has to do with like the premiere. I'm not 100% positive on that. But I know, for example, Sharp Objects, which we're going to be talking about soon, like could not be nominated for this year because it was too late. And there were some things that I was looking at the list, like the marvelous Mrs. Maisel was nominated for a bunch of things. That's an Amazon comedy that I don't watch. But I was like, (laughs) wasn't this already like nominated? But it came out almost a year ago and then actually hasn't been nominated yet. It was just like it came out around the award season the first time and, you know, and then got nominated this year because it couldn't last year. So I don't know. It's a little, it's a little complicated, the, Calendar. I know, you know, I've always had a question is um because I remember like when Modern Family was winning all the awards, oh, yeah. it was like it was like from like they would submit a certain episode. Yeah. So is that how it works with like best actors, best writing? Is it just episode centric or is it like they look at the whole? Um, well that's a really interesting question and plays a lot into the things that get nominated and don't get nominated. So technically, mm-hmm. you know, for writing and directing awards, those are for specific episodes because the writers and directors mm-hmm. for different episodes right. of TV are usually not the same person. You know, for like e- example, in Grey's Anatomy, you're going to have 22 <laughs> episodes in a season and you might have some writers writing multiple episodes or directors directing multiple episodes, but you could have, you know, 15, 20 people who are doing those things. And then usually sort of like the bigger name directors or the bigger name writers get the kind of more zeitgeisty episodes so that they can try to cut their teeth on it. So like, oh, this is the episode where, I don't know, Mick Steamy or whatever dies and Grey's Anatomy, (laughs) we'll give that to one of our kind of more prestigious directors so that they can kind of go for the Emmy. But with actors, they do have to submit a couple of episodes. I think it's maybe two or three from that season that kind of showcase them. So a lot of times when they're right, if it's a show that's kind of gunning for Emmys, they'll sort of doctor up an episode a little bit so that one particular actor has a lot of really good scenes in it. You'll see this a lot with Game of Thrones, where there'll be certain episodes where where a main character isn't in it at all. And then another episode where that main character features really prominently. And that's partially for storytelling reasons, but also partially so that they can use that as their movie or as their episode that they're submitting to the Emmys but the Emmy voters don't necessarily watch all of those because obviously they're getting (laughs) hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of submissions so this is something that I think is really interesting about the Emmys is that people for the most part aren't voting on the specifics of this season this year for all of these shows and they're mostly voting on the perception of a show. So the voters have not watched all of these seasons that are being nominated for things, but they go, oh, Game of Thrones was nominated for Best Drama last year or two years ago because it had a year off, but it's been nominated for a bunch of things. We've heard this season was good, so we'll nominate it even, or we'll vote for it even if we haven't seen it. And I think that's how somebody like Millie Bobby Brown gets nominated in the fact that people say, oh, Stranger Things is a good show. We should award it by giving it an actor nomination we have like I haven't watched this season but Millie Bobby Brown seems to be the star so we'll vote for her whereas I really feel like she's probably sixth or seventh down in the list of people who should have been nominated (laughs) for that show that's interesting I mean 
Is that just according to you? Is that your gut feeling or is, can you back that up somehow? Well, about <laughs> Millie Bobby Brown or about how people get nominated? Well, just in general, how people no, get nominated. I think that's fairly standard because there's lots with things like the Oscars, which I think are probably the most credible awards show, if that makes sense. Right. There's only a certain number of movies. And so you can theoretically watch the majority of them before you're right. voting for nominations so that you can have a pretty well-rounded view of the players for that year. But that's also because there's yeah. only a couple hundred movies that come out every year in total and probably only like 30 or 40 that have any chance of winning anything. Where with TV shows, you have seasons that can be 20 some episodes long. That's a lot of hours to be watching. And yeah. I think there's more TV shows out now than there are movies, which is ridiculous. But there's so I many know. networks and every network is pushing, you know, their crop of shows and trying to get things nominated mm-hmm. uh, that you have all kinds of weird uh, things getting nominated and not getting nominated. Modern Family, this was the first year that it didn't get nominated for anything. And a lot of people were oh, really praise. happy about that because but they said, oh, this should have happened two or three years ago. But people just kept voting for it because they you know, even though they weren't watching the show right. anymore, they were like, oh, comedy, modern family. So they voted for it. And it's taken a couple yeah. of years for people to realize, oh, wait, this actually, we don't need to vote for this anymore. It's not good it's anymore. Just so bad. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's interesting. So, so you have Queer Eye, you have Stranger Things. What else did Netflix pull through with? Um, so The Crown was nominated for oh, some yeah. things. Um, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt got a bunch of nominations, which is mind-boggling oh, to no. me because that show is terrible. I oh, know. Did you ever like it? I love the first season, and then the second yeah. season was such a hot mess that I had to stop watching. So but, I agree. I think it went it hit it derailed pretty quick, but there were a couple episodes this season that were <laughs> that were pretty funny in like a weird, weird way. Maybe I just missed Thirty Rock a little bit, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> it came back a little. <laughs> I think the the way that Netflix won or got so many nominations, people are also talking about how Netflix got all these nominations, but they're probably not going to win very many actual awards. Right. But they got them all because they have such an array of programming that especially yeah. in the stranger categories about, you know, movie actor or, you know, TV movie or miniseries or some of these kind of more bizarre categories they have things that can fill those slots where hbo who has less material can only get you know one or two tv movie slots where hbo is like well we or netflix is like well we can fill up the rest of those we have all kinds of that we can slot in there yeah so do you think um do you think john legend is gonna get an egot i saw that he was nominated for that i think that he was nominated twice once for the uh him playing jesus and jesus christ superstar (laughs) which i think is for best actor in a uh limited series yeah so he's up against people uh yeah like who are actual real actors in real shows so i don't think he's going to win that but he was also (laughs) a producer for it and it's up for some kind of like variety show or like live tv something so i feel like he could definitely win that uh that award so it's exciting. Yeah. Killing it. John Legend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's good. When are the Emmys? The Emmys are in September. And we'll probably do what? an episode it's about so it. Far so. away. Yeah, for sure. Obviously. I love TV. I just 
I just, um, I think the Emmys have been hard for me to care about because so many of them, I just, there are so many shows that a lot of them I just don't watch. Like all the Amazon ones I've never been able to get into. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but it's tricky. There's a lot of TV out there is the problem. There's just so much. Yes. And now and- you made me start a new one. Yes. <laughs> So we have just started watching Sharp Objects, which is HBO's new uh, limited series. It's eight episodes long, and it's based on a book by Gillian Flynn. And Shelby and I both have connections, you might say, to Gillian Flynn. (laughs) Yeah. Because back in the day... conflict of interest. Yes, conflict of interest, (laughs) especially on my part. Because back in the day when Shelby and I worked together, we worked at a literary agency that represents Gillian Flynn. So I still work there. Um, and Shelby does not anymore. So I really can't <laughs> say bad things about this show, but I honestly really, yeah. really liked the episode so far, and I think yeah. they're doing a fantastic job with it. So I have very few qualms about it in general. Well, good. I'm glad you I'm glad you shared that with the class because it would have been <laughs> it would have been a little fake if we didn't acknowledge that there might be some bias there. But it's true. I mean, I don't know if I ever would have read Gillian Flynn if I hadn't worked at this agency, um, just because it's not really like my go-to, like these really dark kind of creepy, gross, negative-ish books that are like obviously well-written and very interesting, but still very heavy and like is is a lot. So it was interesting. I feel like it's been a long time coming that one of her books would get the limited series treatment because it's kind of like made for it i think yeah well gone girl did so well and you know yeah. was nominated for oscars and golden globes despite the fact that it really is a you know thriller mystery which isn't a genre that usually picks up a lot of award steam so i think that yeah they were just sort of looking for ways to make this work as a tv show and hbo wanted it and then amy adams got attached and she really hasn't done tv in a big way Mm -hmm. since she's became a star so that had a lot of appeal to it and then they were able to snag john mark valet as the director who he did uh big little lies so that also has a lot of weight to it so i think between you know gillian as the author mark valet as the director and then amy adams as star was sort of like okay well this is going to be a big deal we're gonna make it a really yeah we're gonna give it a big budget and we're gonna put a lot of weight behind it yeah no i mean it's been i feel like it's been in the works for a while like i've heard about amy adams attachment to it and honestly amy adams is just like one of my all-time favorite actresses i could watch her in anything and i was really thrilled to hear she would be on this because it made me more interested in watching her play into this character um so yeah i think it's like a huge deal and obviously hbo is known for these like limited series artsy highbrow television and i think it's um it's a good house for them unless they start going the route of netflix which they've obviously threatened but i think i've enjoyed a lot of things they've put out probably not as much as i should i never got on the game of thrones train sorry (laughs) Uh, I didn't and Westworld I've also just I could not get into but I watched Big Little Lies and I loved that so and this has a very different feel from an HBO or I mean from a Game of Thrones or a Westworld and it's and this is 
a rare instance where the same director is directing all of the episodes. So yeah. it's all going to have a very cohesive feel to it. It's not something that was sort of hodgepodge together. He came in, directed all eight. So it will have a, a very nice arc to it, I think. And you can sort of tell that that's going to happen just because this first episode, I think, was a little on the slower side. But it's really mm-hmm. taking time to set up everything really nicely. And I think that that'll probably yeah. pay off in the next seven episodes. Yeah, I think it's like just this culture we have of like this new take we have with the highbrow television, these limited series. I think it was like True Detective that really brought it into popularity. But it was such a refreshing break from network television to just have this one season. You knew that would be it. You knew you just had to be involved for eight episodes. It would have a beginning, middle, end. I think it was something people really wanted, including me, because... I was so into TV, like growing up, like all through college, I watched so many series. I watched Bones, Castle, like just all these series that were just endless and it became exhausting. And it was like, oh my gosh, like how do they keep finding new stuff for these characters to go through? Like this doesn't make any sense anymore because they just, these characters like would eventually just give up, you know, like they would just move on in some way, but they just have to keep dragging out like these stories. You see it with all sorts of shows like Lost especially got a lot of complaints for how it just lost itself in its last seasons because it didn't know where it was going. Mm -hmm. And so I think like this transition we've had to the limited series has been like really interesting and it has like upped the quality of television. And so you do get like these superstars who are suddenly willing to do TV like Amy Adams and Matthew McConaughey and all these people who really had no business being on the small screen again are suddenly like very interested in these smaller, artsier, really compact stories that are given room to breathe on TV that they wouldn't have in film. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting format that I think was necessary because there were so many books and, mm-hmm. you know, ideas that people would have that you think, okay, this there's more here than it than can fit in a two hour movie. But we don't want to make this a TV show where it's going to have 22 episodes, eight seasons in a row. Like, <laughs> yeah. where is this story going to go? This book can only last so long. And now right. you have these really fantastic limited releases like The Night Of or even Mm -hmm. these anthology shows like American Crime Story or Fargo where if you want to keep a franchise going and even employ some of the same actors in season after season, you can keep the story moving but in a way that each season is its own unique story and just has kind of the same cast so that you know there is an end to it because i think that is yeah a a, a huge problem with tv is you don't know what the end is so that people are just like writing for the sake of writing and not (laughs) writing to get anywhere Yeah, no, it gets crazy. It's like they just hold on to these characters. And I think it's interesting because last year, if we were talking about this, I would talk about The Handmaid's Tale and how flawless that first season was. It was so beautiful. It was such a great adaptation of the novel with still being original and very like engaging. Mm -hmm. I thought it was such perfect television, but I just finished season two and oh, like, don't spoil you it. can see, oh, I'm not, but you can see that they're really struggling to know what to do because they, they lost the source material. They don't know how long they're going to keep going. So they're trying to like move enough chess pieces around to like strategize a long-term life for this series that was originally meant to just be 
a one-off, you know? And so we praise these limited series, but then we still want them to continue. And so you saw that with Big Little Lies, again, an HBO show that was amazing and ended so well. And now they're doing a season two and I'm just sort of like, well, I don't really trust that they can take it anywhere interesting or logical because it wrapped up so well. So it's like, are we becoming like our own worst enemies where we love something so much that we then ruin what we love about it? You know, I mean, that's always the case with book series and TV shows and movie sequels and, and everything like that, where you want more because you love the character so much, but the reason why you love the character so much is because you only have them for a certain period of time. It's like when you're, (laughs) everybody loves cake, but you don't want to eat 15 (laughs) pieces of cake. You really only want one. If you eat, six then you don't want it anymore and you start to hate it yeah so whose fault is it though that we keep getting more pieces of cake because it's like is it the consumer or is it the studios getting greedy and being like we have a good thing here it's probably some of both because the yeah. because the consumers are calling for it and the production companies are like, look, they want this they're asking to yeah. pay for it like we're not going to turn down basically free money just because we want some kind of artistic credibility or at least i think (laughs) it's really hard for studios to do that Um, you know when your business is making money off of movies and someone's like we'll give you a lot of money for this movie you don't want to be like "Mm, no i think i'll turn this down and work on something that i don't know if it will be successful or not right I know. It's so interesting. So do you think Sharp Objects, have you heard anything that maybe it'll turn into season two, three, if there's interest? I am fairly certain that it's not. I think there maybe is some kind of potential for it to have to be an anthology series, maybe. But I haven't I haven't heard anything about that. But I'm pretty yeah. sure that Amy Adams is like has lots of other things that she's working on okay. and so wouldn't be coming back for a second season. And I mean, we'll get into spoiler territory in a little bit, but you and I have both read the book and I, I'm not sure where the story would (laughs) go, what with the ends that some of these characters meet along the way. Right. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Um, So do you want to get in and kind of talk about the episode a little bit? What your thoughts were and general takeaways from this first episode, the premiere called Vanish. Yes. Well, I want to hear about your experience with the with the so-called premiere. Oh, yes. So <laughs> I'm very fancy, everybody. Just take it yes. for a second. No. So the big premiere that HBO did for Sharp Objects was in California. And I did not go to that because I live in New York. But there oh. was a really cool screening that was showed that was hosted here in the city where all of the main cast members and Gillian Flynn and the director and the showrunner all came. And because I work at this agency, I was invited and we went and we saw the first episode. So I have actually seen the first episode twice now because I watched it a couple weeks ago and then I watched it again a couple days ago just to refresh my mind. But we got to watch it. And then in a very dramatic fashion, this curtain rose and there is all of these people (laughs) dressed to the nines, like sitting on stage in sort of this portrait mode. And then did you start crying? Yeah. Yeah, I did. It was very moving. Uh, But then, but then this like moderator who was actually kind of strange came out and started asking them, uh, you know, questions about, their work and how the show was put together and especially the first episode so it was interesting some of the takeaways or the inside scoop that the actors and the director and showrunner 
were able to share after watching it because usually you don't have that experience until yeah. maybe like a DVD special feature or something. <laughs> yeah, did it did it influence you? Like, did it make you rethink or did it re-excite you about certain parts or how did that Im- impact your watching of it? Well, so I had never seen Big Little Lies. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it. It's on my list. It, I mean, I've heard it's really good. It's really but, good, yeah. Yeah, that's what everybody says. And there's huge names in it. And it was nominated for a million things last year. So I definitely need to check it out. But Jean-Marc Vallée, who is the director for that, is also the director for this. And watching the episode, I was sort of... Um, like it's slower moving. There's lots of music. There's lots of kind of scenery shots. It's very beautiful, but not, there's not a ton of scenes with a lot of dialogue in it. Mm-hmm. And as they were sitting up there talking about the show, they said, oh, you know, he's French. He doesn't speak English as well. So he really relies heavily on storytelling through uh, visuals and less so on the script and I thought that that was really interesting because even within this episode there's a lot of flashbacks there's a lot of you know snippets of things happening and intercut visuals within Mm -hmm. a scene there's a lot of like her driving with music and you getting a sense of things and seeing the story unfold but there's not a lot of dialogue and really even like the scene um which comes i don't know maybe like three quarters of the way through the episode where they discover the body of the second girl Mm -hmm. i think in another tv show there would be a lot of talking in that scene a lot of like screaming and you know gesticulating and a lot of saying things and Mm -hmm. in this version it's very like mute and just kind of like the visuals of the different people's faces, which I think is an interesting mode of storytelling. Yeah, no, that's true. It really, it really made you slow down. Like you're used to these splashy, loud, action-driven sequences, like especially in Game of Thrones and Westworld. But here it's like, it's slow. It's really slow. And it, it's like, if you're not ready to like dedicate that time and attention to watching this, like you're going to, you're not going to like the show and you're going to miss out on why it's like good artistically and interesting story wise. And it's like, if you're hoping to like scroll through Twitter while watching this, it's not going to work. It's just, you really have to be present and you really have to be comfortable in the silence because there's Mm -hmm. a lot of it. Yeah. And it's definitely a slow burn. And I think that really what this episode is, as I was thinking about it, watching it a second time, is it's introducing you to the suspects because you know that Mm -hmm. these girls have been murdered. The first one's murdered off screen before the show happens. And then the second one, they find the body at the near the end of this episode. And Amy Adams character, Camille Preaker, is a journalist who's you know, from this town, goes back to the town and is investigating. And really, I think this episode is showing her meeting all of these people or reintroducing herself to them since she's been gone for a little mm-hmm. while so that the mm-hmm. viewer can have a very large swath of characters who could potentially be the murderer, which I think is an interesting way to set this up. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, a part of Gillian Flynn's style is to have these like diverse like groups to pull from, like very interesting characters to like fall back on. And you see it in all of her novels, but especially like, I mean, 
Gone Girl is the big one. You know, there's all these like weird characters and side characters and people that like come up out of the blue and like reflect back on and do they matter? Do they not? It's just like it becomes this character story. It's not formulaic in a way a lot of like thriller mysteries are where you have like the red herring and you have the <laughs> you have the villain that you can kind of tell from the beginning just by the way that they focus on him. Here it's just like here we're just thrown into this town with all these different people. They may matter, they may not, and how they influence the character might relate to like the broader picture or it just might trigger something in her that like motivates the further action yeah so who were some of the characters in this episode that you felt really jumped off the screen for you (laughs) okay well this is the wrong reason but i mean the sheriff is from the mindy project so i was very surprised (laughs) to see him and i was just like wait he's because i know he's been in other stuff i didn't know him before the mindy project so that's like my concept for him is the goofy grumpy comedy dude So it was very interesting to have him come on screen. And I was like, okay, I'm going to give him a chance. But I just keep waiting for him to start doing a strip tease or something. (laughs) Does he do that later, do you think? Do you know? In in this TV show? (laughs) Does that come up? Yeah. yeah. I read (laughs) the book and there's a lot of stripping sheriff in the later chapters. So stay tuned for that. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I mean, acting wise, of course, Amy Adams immediately just does a great job. If there's someone I have to watch just stare into space, it's Amy Adams. Like I think she has such a such a great like face. She just does like so she just does expression so well that you she doesn't need to talk to act. It's amazing. And I'm just a huge fangirl of hers. And then obviously I think the the next one for me is her mom, who's Patricia Clarkson. Yes. I thought she was good. Do you not? No, no, I love her. Uh, I I think, I think really all of the acting in this episode for the most part was, was pretty spot on. And Amy Adams, you know, is playing this woman who's a journalist in a big city who's coming home. She has a troubled relationship with her mother. They're, they're hinting at this episode and the fact that she at one point had a younger sister who died of some kind of, ominous disease it looks like and Mm -hmm. so she has relationships with that there's also at the very end of the episode you come to find out that she has been carving words (laughs) into her skin which is a whole like another league of mental uh gymnastics that amy adams has to be able to perform and she's an alcoholic in this episode she's really doing a lot of heavy lifting here (laughs) and acting wise if she does not get nominated for an emmy i will be shocked (laughs) when i saw this casting initially my first thought was like okay amy adams is going for an emmy she hasn't been able to (laughs) land an oscar which is wild to me still but she's like you know what i'm gonna take the easiest category which is best actress in like a limited release because <laughs> there's less competition for limited release and i'm just gonna like kill this role and she's doing great yeah she has like one episode in you know i really believe her with her little drawl and her her neuroses i think it's been i think what was really interesting to me as far as the episode as a whole was the way the that they filmed it where she would be having these flashbacks to her younger self and then directly interact with them where she would wake up and think it was them and then it would cut to her being in real life. I don't know. It's hard to explain, but it was just a really interesting visual where 
she would remember running through a door and then the screen would cut to her running through the door based on that memory. Well, and there's even there's even a couple scenes where like she, you know, like walks by a bench and and like the younger version of her sister who is dead is like sitting on the bench in the house. You know, there's yeah. a lot of scenes where even in the background there is things that I think must be pieces of flashbacks but are kind of happening at the same time which is a really cool way to show visually with the visual storytelling that john mark valet is great at that these pieces of the past are still with her and they're with her in a day-to-day form they're not just somewhere in the back of her mind like she is living with them actively right and you get to like see a physical examination of like how triggered she is by certain things and I think that's like really interesting because instead of fading to black and like going into a dream sequence it's like happening in real time for her and so you can kind of you kind of sympathize with her her neuroses a little more where you're like whoa you can see why something triggered a memory that she then lives out in real time with the audience yeah yeah definitely uh, was there anything else about this episode specifically you wanted to touch on or do you want to get into the spoilers? <laughs> well, no, I think, yeah. Um, one, I haven't read the book in a long time. Like I, I read it when I first started working at, uh, the agency. So years, years back. So I had forgotten a lot and it was really fun. The twist in this episode where you realize this like bratty popular girl, who's been skating around town kind of being inappropriate about this horrific incident turns out to be her half sister who she had, who's like a 13 year old and she has this totally different life when she's out in public with her friends versus when she's at home with her really strict appearance, hungry mother. And she turns into this really, you know, she wears the frilly dresses and she plays with her little dollhouse and she's very polite. And then she and Amy Adams character has this conversation where she's like, I'm incorrigible too. And it's sort of like, it's ominous. And I'm sort of excited to see how this young actress kind of takes on that role because it's one of the most interesting ones in the book to me. And just seeing like how this mother figure impacted not only Camille, but her current like ward you know this young girl who's struggling to kind of figure out who she is under the thumb of this crazy woman who's is so unwilling to face reality yeah the the interactions i think between the three of them were the strongest in this episode and i think are the strongest in the book and will probably just continue to get better of the mom who's Mm -hmm. really yeah focused on appearance and kind of domineering and then amy adams character who is going through a lot uh, mentally and, you know, struggling with alcoholism and struggling with her relationship with her mom. And then this younger girl, the stepsister, who is sort of trying to rebel against her mom, but without telling her. Yeah. And then looks up to Amy Adams' character as sort of like a mentor-ish figure, but like Amy Adams shouldn't be mentoring. It's a very interesting uh, trio of characters and how they interact with each other and affect each other. And I'm excited to see that play out because in this first episode, all three of them did a fantastic job with acting and I think they're only going to get better. Yeah. So where is the story going to take us? Is it is it spoiler time? I think it's spoiler time. So... <laughs> I guess if you're listening to this and you haven't read the books and you don't want to be spoiled on the TV show, 
you should turn this off now or I guess skip ahead. We'll put timestamps in the description yeah. so you can skip ahead to the love it or hate it segment at the end. But <laughs> yeah. we're getting into spoiler mode, people. Yeah, so. spoiler alert. Spo- spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. <laughs> oh my gosh, isn't it just terrifying when Amy Adams gets her head chopped off in the end of episode <laughs> three? It's going to be wild. Wild, yeah. No one's yeah, coming no. back from that. <laughs> that didn't that did that doesn't happen guys okay we're actually going to spoilers now you've been warned yeah so this is gillian flynn's first novel which i think is really important to remember i think debut novels are really interesting when you start to look at an author's broader um scope so when did you read it did you like it what were your thoughts so i read it just this past spring because I knew the TV show was coming out and I was like, I want to read this before the TV show. Um, And I had read Mm -hmm. Gone Girl already and obviously seen that movie. But yeah, I am usually not affected by books in a Mm -hmm. like physical way. And I was reading this and there, the scenes that were describing her cutting herself were so like visceral to me that I was feeling nauseous and had to like actually put the book down and then like skip a few pages so that because I was like thought that I was going to throw up. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's like, it's very grotesque. And I think it's like, I don't know, there's like a review once that was like Gillian Flynn writes ugly. And it's like a compliment. Like it's like she does a very good job of these visceral She's not afraid to get in the dirt and like she doesn't dress it up. It's not like tri- chiclet or even like traditional like mystery thrillers. Mm-hmm. It's like these people are awful. Their situations are awful. Their hometowns are awful. Their cars are awful. You know, like everything just has this dirt to it that you just feel as you're reading it. And I think it's like you see that in this one, especially because it's her first novel and it just it feels a little quieter than maybe her other ones does because Dark Places is what comes after. And it's more of a, uh, I don't know, I guess like a real mystery where you're trying to like solve this <laughs> whodunit with this girl's horrific past. And then Gone Girl, which is more polished and very much like about two characters lying to the audience. But this one is just like, it's just like a character piece about this one woman who's reacting to a bigger picture. But in reality, the story is just about her falling apart. Yeah. Is my, that's my reading of it at least. Mostly. Well, and when I was reading the book and I'm sure we'll get to that in the TV show where, you know, she's like going to parties with, Alma, the stepsister, and like they're doing drugs mm-hmm. together and drinking. You're just like, what? Like, why are you making these decisions? This is, you can just see her unraveling so clearly. And I think Amy Adams is going to have so much fun with that role as <laughs> it continues to like digress. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe do you, do we want to just give a quick summary of how it happens or talk more broadly? Yeah. Um, I guess I can give a quick summary of the book. So, I mean, she goes down there to investigate. These two, These are the only two girls who die in the book, which I will be interested to see mm-hmm. if they keep it that way for the show. Because I, I feel like with seven more episodes, they're going to need to have another, like, find another body somewhere. Don't you think so? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was wondering is it's like, it's it's not a book that I would necessarily have thought was a natural choice for a limited series run, uh-huh. except that there are these interesting characters and this weird town and environment to play with. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went the route of like The Handmaid's Tale and like 
added a few new pieces and like kind of took some liberties with the story and tried to like, I don't know, drum up maybe a little more drama or action because a lot of it is more internal. Well, and Gillian Flynn, the writer of the novel, is also heavily involved in the show. She's a producer and writer on this. So anything that's added is going to be coming from her. So I I feel good about whatever changes that they're making. Mm -hmm. But anyways, in the book, Amy Adams' character Camille continues in a downward spiral. Uh, You find out that a lot of this is induced because her mother... Uh, Dora, who is Patricia Clarkson, basically murdered her younger sister through Munchausen by proxy, which is where she like slowly poisons the child to because she likes the feeling of like the attention of mourning for a sick child. Yeah. And so that in turn, you know, really screwed up Camille (laughs) and then also screwed up Alma, the younger daughter, who wants attention so badly from her mother that she is actually the one who has murdered these other girls and kills them with her group of younger girlfriends. Because these girls who have died, you learn later, were kind of like favorites of Adora, the mother. Mm, Plot twist. That's just wild. (laughs) And I feel like the last episode is going to be like batshit crazy, but I'm interested (laughs) to see like what the cliffhanger ends are going to be of like episode three and episode four, because I don't remember there being a lot. I mean, it's a pretty short book and I don't remember there being a lot of like big twists in the middle. It's kind of like you don't know what's going on. And then at the end, you're like, oh my gosh, this family is like a hot mess. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's what's crazy is it's like, it's just very slow for the most part until you get this bomb. And you're like, wait. And so it makes you reflect on everything before a little bit deeper. But at first, you're just like, okay, where's the action? Who's the villain? Who's like, what what are we solving here? And it takes a long time to get there. But it's, yeah, like you said, a very short book. And so it'll be interesting to see how they, how they kind of make that work on the small screen. Because... Mm-hmm. Like we said, this first episode was very slow. So is it just going to be, is it just going to take that speed until episode seven and then suddenly be like, JK? Yeah. Is it all going to be slow or is it going to, are they going to throw some curveballs in the middle? If you were watching and had not read the book, do you think that you would be on to the fact that it is the daughter at all? Or do you think that that is like totally out of the field? Honestly, even reading the book, I was just like, wait, <laughs> it, it was very like, it was a very splashy reveal to me that I was like, unsure if I really believed the character had shown that yet. Mm-hmm. But I think in reading it back, you're kind of like, okay, that's really interesting. So with this episode, especially, it's like, boring, you know, you're like, okay, like, I get it. She has mommy issues. Okay. So her, her little sister's going through a rebellious phase, but like, what's the big deal? You know, (laughs) they set up all of these different characters who you think could possibly be the killer. I mean, there's the stripping sheriff from the Mindy project. There's the, there's (laughs) the detective. There's the kind of like neighbor lady, Jackie, who's the one like giving out the drinks at the search which seems like such a strange role to have. Like, I'm the refreshment woman (laughs) at the search party. Uh, But then there's obviously, like, the one 
dead girl's father, the other dead girl's uh, older brother. Camille's mom, I guess, is in the show a lot, so she could be a suspect. And then also her like husband, Camille's stepfather, is kind of creepy, mm-hmm. so it could be him. I think that you wouldn't assume that it's the daughter at all, but like you have a lot of characters, yeah. and I think that they're going to build on all of those throughout this season so i do think that when people watching this realize oh wait it was the younger sister the whole time they're going to be shocked yeah no i mean that's that's gillian flynn's mo is just like this sudden twist that's really like refreshing but also like wait can this actually have worked out like in gone girl especially when you realize that the wife isn't this weeping victim but is in fact a psychopath Mm -hmm. it's like wait a second, like, is this just bad writing? Or did she actually lay the foundation for this to make sense? And she does. I mean, that's why she's so successful and why this story is still like popular enough to get Amy Adams on board is because there is like, there's real little crumbs throughout the novel that kind of give you this, you're justified in the end, you know, you kind of you have that like payoff that makes sense and isn't just a lazy yeah. plot twist well, you know and they are setting this up so well which they did not reference this point yet in the tv show but i assume that they're going to that both of the girls who have been killed their teeth have all been pulled out yeah and in the book alma takes the teeth and uses them as the floor of one of the rooms in her <laughs> dollhouse which is like terrifying but the fact that there's that they set up the dollhouse so like innocuously in this episode like you know it's there but like you don't think anything of it i think is beautiful and this show i mean i know what's going to happen so on the first watch i can pick up these things but i think this is one of those shows that could have a lot of rewatch potential just because once you get to the end and know who did it there's a lot of these sort of like little easter eggs throughout the way Yes, I know. It'll be interesting. And it's sort of, I'll also be curious to see if people like stick with it. Because if you don't know any of this, it's it's hard to get into. Maybe that's just because I was, I was watching it late last night. And I was like, I already knew it was happening. So I was just kind of not that invested in it. But I just wonder if people will stick around to like let it happen in this slow burn. I mean, I think the fact that it's only eight episodes and it is Amy Adams has a lot of weight to it. And it's also yeah. Gillian Flynn so that people think there's a twist coming. Right. I also think that HBO was genius in the fact of releasing this in the middle of summer because there is nothing else on <laughs> that has this That's power true. or weight to it. You know, all of the big shows have, have had their finales and are done. All of the network TV is over. It's literally this and Big Brother are like the only <laughs> things that are on. So okay. and they're going yeah. for different audiences, although I am watching both. Uh, yeah. So I think I think people will stick around with it, at least for the first couple episodes. I mean, if we get to episode five and nothing still has really happened, maybe people will start to dip <laughs> out. Okay. But I think that the next couple episodes have the potential to kind of introduce some of these suspects more so and get into some of the more dirty details of the actual killings because really the killings themselves are not mentioned at all yeah, in no, this episode. yeah they sort of feel like ancillary like it's just like oh this is the context of her coming home it's not really about the deaths but she's just home now yeah but in reality it'll come into <laughs> come yeah. into play pretty importantly yeah we'll get all those csi up back yeah. next week where they're like standing <laughs> yeah. over the body in the you know autopsy room 
Like they took all the teeth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> something under her fingernails. What is it? Oh, it's a <laughs> note. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's like I said, um, it's not necessarily my cup of tea. Like it's really dark stuff. But I will say that Gillian Flynn has given female characters like a chance to just be totally gross and totally unlikable and imperfect and messy and kind of the worst without it being like about a boy or like about insecurities like this is just they're messed up women you know Mm -hmm. like they are they are troubled souls and I think it's really really yeah it's really interesting to see like you just don't expect it and she kind of uses that to her advantage where she's like everyone's just gonna think Camille is this poor little victim who's like a cutter and like oh it's sad but she's just this girl but in reality there's like something darker at play and it's like it's pretty heavy yeah Yeah. I I think a long-term story of this podcast will probably be that I keep trying to get us to cover more like dark (laughs) horror, like gory, scary things. And you keep trying to get us to go to see blockbuster PG-13 action movies. Yeah, I know. I mean, I didn't see it, and uh, but I love reading spoilers about scary movies and stuff. And I think, mm-hmm. like stylistically, I can see a lot of similarities with this and Hereditary. Because oh, even I love Hereditary. Yeah, and I think Hereditary did a lot of similar like camera work, where it's not necessarily focused on the horror of the moment, but more on the faces of the people. Mm-hmm watching that and I think that makes really interesting and kind of more dynamic than just relying on this like bloody scene you know you have to like really look at it from a character's point of view and I think that kind of makes it more chilling and like visceral because you're like oh wait that's what it would feel like to see this and you're not just desensitized to seeing it yeah I'm praying that Hereditary gets nominated for a bunch (laughs) of Oscars so that you have to go see it and we can talk about it on the podcast it is so freaking good <laughs> but yeah. it is also the scariest movie that I think I've ever seen. So yeah, I it's a win. <laughs> but uh, speaking of movies that we really like, I have something that I loved, loved, loved this week that I want to talk about in oh, the love it yeah, segment. Please tell me. So I went and saw Friday Night Eighth Grade which is a movie that just came out. It was written and directed by Bo Burnham. I don't know if you are a Bo Burnham fan at all. He was kind of like a YouTube star back when I was in middle school and high school and made these like very, very offensive music videos that were sort (laughs) of like making fun of people who are offensive. I don't know if that makes sense. Okay. That I loved and was like (laughs) a huge fan of. Over the years, he's gotten away from that and music videos and more into... He's had a couple stand-up routines and has been in a couple movies recently. But he's really focuses on like the anxiety that he has in a very real and personal way and kind of mm-hmm. how that affects him and how anxiety and living with anxiety affects people, you know, on a day-to-day basis. And so this movie, Eighth Grade, is about this girl who is in like the last couple weeks of her eighth grade year. And, you know, she's just she's just like a normal eighth grader, you know, just like I was. You know, she has Mm -hmm. some acne she's a little chubby she you know is like trying to do her hair and trying to be stylish but not really necessarily pulling it off but it's like a very sweet person and it's all about 
just kind of like her interactions in this world of eighth grade and with her parents. And it is the most like cringy thing I have ever seen <laughs> because it is so spot on realistic. Like the yeah. number of times in the movie where I was sitting there like, oh my gosh, I'm reliving <laughs> my like eighth grade or I'm reliving like two days ago when I was like yeah. did this horribly <laughs> awkward, anxious thing. And I, it was just like the realest movie that I have ever seen. And I was so taken with it. Like even within the this is something kind of going back to sharp objects. One of the problems that I had with sharp with this episode is that Amy Adams, despite the fact that she's supposed to be like this <laughs> alcoholic sleeping in her car, has the most gorgeous hair yeah. of anybody that you have uh, ever seen. I and know. In eighth grade, like all of the actors look like normal people. Like even the people, even the kids who are supposed to be like the attractive, cool kids at school look like the attractive, cool kids that would be at your school. <laughs> they don't look yeah. like the Riverdale cast, yeah. <laughs> you know, parading about. And I, yeah. I just thought it was such a fantastic real way of showing how it is to live with anxiety and just to be like a regular person living in this world. And and I thought it was beautiful. Yeah. I saw the trailer and I wanted to see it. It hasn't come out in Houston yet, though. So, Well, when it does, you have to go see it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm excited about it. I thought it looked really like real. And it's interesting that it's this YouTuber guy because I had no idea who he was until the trailer came out. And then mm-hmm. I was like, wow, like he really went for it. And I yeah. think that's an interesting perspective that probably adds to the to the story yeah there was there's a scene in there which is also kind of in the trailer but where she gets invited to a pool party that's one of her classmates mm-hmm. is throwing and they're not friends but it's one of those kind of like you have to invite everybody yeah. in the class type of parties and she goes and there's this scene where like she is in the bathroom in the house like she's oh. in her bathing suit but she's like getting ready to go outside and as a very chubby child i would just like had horrifying flashbacks (laughs) to like those moments where you're like oh my gosh i have to walk outside in a bathing suit i feel so uncomfortable but it's also even weirder if i don't do it and i like want to wear a (laughs) t-shirt but i like also can't wear a t-shirt and then she finally goes outside and she does it and no one's really paying attention to her as you know usual she gets in the pool and then the mom goes okay it's picture time like let's all take a picture and i was like (laughs) oh my gosh like this is the worst nightmare that could ever happen but it's so real like that has happened to all of us and i i was just like like laughing and applauding and crying and it was fantastic (laughs) well i'm excited to see it thanks for sharing my uh, love it or hate it this week um it's a love it i I'm not a huge Ariana Grande fan, even though I talk about her so much on this podcast. But she came out with a new song called God is a Woman. Yes. Have you listened to it? Um, it showed up in my Spotify playlist or whatever. And I listened to about maybe the first half and then skipped on <laughs> to the next song. You have to watch the music video. It is batshit. Like, it is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. And I don't know if I liked it, but it was also very interesting. And I also just think Ariana is so funny because she talks like a very empowering talk, which I'm all for. And I think it's great that she like owns herself and her sexuality like this. But all her songs, I swear, are just about like really good sex. Like that's all they come down to be. And like, I think this song is the same. It's just her singing about how good she is in bed and how she made this guy believe that God is a woman. And I'm like, that's crazy, Ariana, but go for it. You know, like, it's like, 
she just she's really sex positive i guess <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very very funny because i don't know a lot of her songs and i loved um uh that song walking side to side oh yeah, and I'm yeah. just like I don't know if I just was not listening to the lyrics or something, but it dawned on me years later what that song was about. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I guess that's just her MO, you know? Yeah. So this is another one for the for the books. But I thought it was catchy and I thought the music video was really fun. I don't know. I'll have it to was watch weird. It. It's what, like three yeah. minutes long? It won't take that much of my time. Yeah. No. It was it's weird. She's a character and I think it's it's interesting to see to see this new side of her. Here's a question for you. Do you think that when her and Pete Davidson inevitably go down in flames, <laughs> will she continue to write her sex songs or will she go full Taylor Swift oh, and no, for sure. like a <laughs> uh, vitriol revenge album? Well, to be fair, she's written about mind-blowing sex before Pete. So Side okay. to Side wasn't about Pete. Right, yes. And just... There's a lot. I think she loves a good a good sex anthem, but <laughs> I'm sure also she's really in love with this guy. So if it ends badly, it'll probably be in songs. But you know, what's interesting is everyone. There are all these rumors that her first single off this new album, um, "No Tears Left to Cry," would be like about the Manchester bombing and made people cry and stuff. And then it came out, and people were like, uh, "This is just like a dance anthem. It's not really that meaningful." So like. Maybe she has a different idea of what meaningful is. So I don't think she'll ever go full Taylor where it's like diary entries about her emotional state. It'll always be like these weird dance. (laughs) I don't know. Explorations of maybe feelings that I'm not tuning into. So I guess we'll just get more of that. Yeah. But I believe in them, you know. I think they have a chance. Well, that's that's <laughs> very kids. kind and naive of you, Shelley. But <laughs> but I appreciate your positive outlook on a horrible situation. <laughs> I'm a romantic. Yeah. What can I yes. say? Um, well, I think <laughs> unless you have anything else, I think that's all for this week. No, it's a good one. I think we're. I think it's good. Yeah. Okay. Well. Um, <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. We will be back next week with another episode. Uh, I think we're going to be talking about Skyscraper, which Shelby is making me go see. Yes, you're welcome. I already saw it, and I will see it again. I loved it. Oh, gosh. (laughs) Dear Lord, save me now. Yeah, but find us on iTunes, Instagram, Twitter, and Gmail. Yeah, what's our Um, our name? P.S. You're Wrong. P.S. You're Wrong? P.S. You're Wrong. Okay. Mm -hmm. Come and find us. Leave us comments. Yeah. (laughs) And we will see you next week. So bye, guys. Bye.